Welcome to 100 PM, the show where we interview 100 active product managers from startup to enterprise and everything in between, all from one great city every season. If you're joining us for the first time, be sure to visit our website, 100productmanagers.com. That's the number 100, productmanagers.com. It's the web's fastest growing resource for product management topics. We've got tons of great articles about business, technology, and design, fabulous contributors, and the official must-read, listen-to, follow list, as recommended by our incredible guests, week over week. It's season one. We're here in Los Angeles. I'm your host, Susanna Bate, resident instructor at General Assembly and founder of The Development Factory. Welcome, and thanks for listening. If you listen to our show regularly, and I hope you do, you know we talk a lot about the path into product management. In particular, that it's rarely a direct one. Today's guest is here to offer yet another perspective to that theme, laddering up. Chris Hall spent over a decade with the NFL, from production assistant to player marketing to product management. Today, he is the lead product manager of connected devices at Red Bull Media House, and he's here with great career advice for the aspiring PM. Dear listeners, please note that the views expressed in this segment belong only to the participants and do not represent that of Red Bull or the National Football League. Let's meet Chris. So we're here at Red Bull in Santa Monica. I have to admit, I was a little surprised how calm it is here. I think I had this imagined idea that like people would be snowboarding inside and bouncing out the wall, like vans and rock and roll. Is that yeah. a legitimate perception on my part? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, in fact, if you would have come before we actually physically removed the skate ramp that rolled through our office, it was a half art installation, half physical skate ramp. Uh, I think you might have felt a little differently, but uh, going through some office reorganization and uh, potential remodel. So uh, in fact, uh, it, it is a little bit less, a little bit less exciting, but uh, I can promise you that the, the work being done is, is energetic and right. exciting. And you're actually drinking a Red Bull right now. So this is, there, we don't have a visual audience, but that's how much you're bought into the brand here. It is, uh, it is my after 3 p.m. 12 ounce sugar-free so yes, <laughs> is Red Bull coming into its maturity? Is is the removing of the skate ramp and this much more sophisticated campus some indication that Red Bull, as a company, is moving to a mature place in the market? Uh, that's a good question. I mean, we're a very multifaceted company. So obviously, we have the consumer packaged good, the actual beverage itself uh, that's been on sale starting next year for 30 years, if you can believe it. So 30 it's, years? It's a 30-year-old company started in Austria in 1987 and uh, came to the United States in the late 90s. Um, but uh, on the on the Red Bull Media House side, uh, here in Santa Monica, we're, we're, we're really focused on uh, inspirational products to bring uh, our world of Red Bull content to users around the globe. So that uh, in and of itself is is incredibly energetic, exciting, and um, we're we're very we're very happy with uh, the the progress that we've been able to make to try to build a companion product to the to the beverage side of the business. Uh, this allows us to bring the world of Red Bull to people that might not ever even consume the beverage. 
I, I guess I just dove right in because I was excited and I am <laughs> excited, but let's let's go back a step. I want to talk first, Chris, about your journey. Mm-hmm. One of the things, the themes that comes up on the show over and over is this idea that there's no straight path into product management. And, you know, so many people we've spoken to accidentally ended up into it or put the product manager label on themselves after they realized that they'd spent a decade doing product management without actually necessarily knowing it. But your path is is, a, is a yet again a different path. It's one of kind of laddering up. Mm-hmm. You really got your start at NFL. If you look at your sort of professional resume, it's like, job at NFL, different job at NFL, Mm -hmm. yet another different job, sort of becoming increasingly senior and then working more and more toward product. Can you just take us back in time from that sort of first role and to how you got certainly into product at NFL first? Sure, absolutely. Uh, It all kind of started with a dream that I had in high school, uh, like probably a lot of uh, young men that grew up in the Midwest. Uh, well, I want to be on Sports Center. I, I want to be an anchor. Uh, I had I had decided that you know you always hear find for your career what you love to do. Well, I love to watch and play sports. Why not get paid to be a broadcaster? And so I evaluated all sorts of different options on how to make that work, uh, which culminated in me deciding that the in front of the camera wasn't the place to be because there's a, a very specific journey and path that you have to take to do that and accomplish that. Let me work behind the camera. And so that took me into my opportunity at the National Football League working as a production assistant and, and telling the story of the game through producing content for live studio and remote television. And that was tremendously rewarding. But as a lot of people might know that have worked in television or have worked in really any position where um, you start and it's exciting and it's intense and you learn a ton, but you do it for two years and you wake up one morning and you say, where am I going? What am I going to do with this? I don't see a job that a superior of mine has that I want to take. And it was at that moment that I said, okay, what's next? What can I do? I loved working at the National Football League. I loved my colleagues and the camaraderie and the product that we were putting out, specifically the game at that point and the content surrounding it. So I transitioned into a management training program that the NFL facilitates called the Junior Rotational Program. And that took me uh, into a crash course in business. And it was through that lens that I was able to analyze and uh, see a path forward for where I could see my career going. I moved to New York City from Los Angeles and had a whole new world opened up to me from uh, a year and change spent in in marketing, entertainment and player marketing, to uh, a brief stint in our broadcasting department. So working with the likes of NBC, CBS on, on broadcast compliance. And as I was sitting there in New York City after two years in New York, I was like, gosh, I really miss living in L.A. Uh, (laughs) And uh, in addition to that, I was like, I really miss storytelling. I'm not doing anything that connects to media and that that allows me an opportunity to be creative and to get stories out into the world and help facilitate the people that have those stories to tell them. And in a a fortuitous bit of uh, slice of life, I was able to work my way back out to Los Angeles, which is where the emerging digital center of the National Football League was centered. And it was in, in that capacity, I was able to jump into product. 
and I, you know, I know that uh, having talked with you, some of the the listeners uh, of the podcast are, are are trying to break into product. And 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 how do you? Did you get a computer science degree? Have you been doing product at internships and whatever else? I, guys, I didn't know HTML from CSS from JavaScript from a poorly written email. I mean, I didn't have any uh, any sense for that. And it was uh, repeated mistakes and questions and failures and answers and successes and whatever else that led me into, you know, becoming a product manager who after, you know, uh, two years was promoted. And then after two more years, I was the lead product manager for a video service that was brand new for the NFL. It was a, a tentpole initiative at the time a personalized video streaming service that there was no PRD for, there was a loose business plan idea. And uh, as I've, I've talked about with some friends in the past, we had a Super Bowl commercial before we had an API. What, what happened there exactly? Somebody on the marketing side said, the best way to launch this will be when, how many viewers in the Super Bowl? Uh, the Super Bowl gains somewhere, somewhere between 150 and 170 million so like, viewers. Let's just quickly launch the commercial to 170 million people. I mean, that's a good way to experiment with the value proposition. Uh, and to turn up the heat on <laughs> you know the motivation for the team. I mean, as in product, I know there's there's a number of people that have been in this business and have felt that uh, that void in like how do I motivate? How do I get people to do what I want them to do? Put a Super Bowl commercial out. <laughs> there's no doubt in my mind that uh, you'll get the. But in seriousness, it was uh, it it really was in a motivating, inspiring thing to do to say we got to deliver. We we know generally what we want to build but we absolutely have to start executing because we only have five months to get this out. And because of the fact that we were going to have a ton of paid media and a ton of user acquisition tools at our disposal, we were going to get the audience. That wasn't the question. We, they were going to be there, which is an amazing like proposition to have to know that you will have an audience. And rare, frankly, for a startup, even Absolutely. if it's a startup within an existing brand. Yeah, we, we the eyeballs would come uh, and we needed to have a product uh, that would meet them that they would that they would really like. And I, I think we learned a lot because we put that out. It was done counter to some product best practices that myself and my, my VP at the time uh, knew that we should do. We were kind of uh, one hand tied behind our back, do some business business structures. You know, and sure enough, we had to pivot, but we pivoted it in a way and so fast while the audience was still coming that we were actually able to make a modestly successful turnaround in in, in performance and consumption engagement. And, and that was, a, you know, everybody talks about fail fast. Everybody talks about, you know, build and do things quickly and learn from them, uh, that was invaluable. So I, I guess the to put a capper on that that little anecdote about, about my career, you know, coming up through the business and making decisions throughout to put myself in a position to be able to wake up one day and be like, wow, I'm, I'm doing product work. This is pretty cool. I'm shipping things that people use and they can interact with a game that I love and with a, a sport that I'm passionate about. And I would be a consumer if I was on the other side of the screen. That's a pretty amazing feeling. And, you know, it's only extended as I've come over to Red Bull and even grown and in, in leaps and bounds from there. Uh, so it's absolutely possible to get your foot in the door someplace and end up a product manager, much like you said, uh, you know, 
waking up 10 years later and all of a sudden you're you're a product manager. Well, you bring up two points that are interesting and I talk a lot about this with my students. We talk a lot about it on the on the website as well. You know, advice for getting jobs. We sort of dove right into this, but we're here so so let's hang here. One thing that I love about your story is and this for whatever reason seems to be going away. At least it's been my impression is starting first with what you love. So here you are, you're sort of this young guy from the Midwest. I love football. You know, I've been indoctrinated from an early age and I'm going to be in football somehow, some way. And that kind of tenaciousness and that sort of passion around whether it's a specific vertical, whether it's a specific company, that's a really important place to start because that passion, you can't ignore it. When somebody comes into the office and they say, I have been waiting my entire life to be part of the NFL, you believe them. Mm -hmm. I mean, they must have believed you because they let you in the door. So I think, you know, lesson one, start first with those things that you love, you Mm -hmm. know, govern yourself from your own passion place. I think the other thing is thinking about strategically about your own direction right so it's maybe what i'm getting at here is the difference between being sort of a passive player versus an active you know actively strategically aiming yourself at product i have a lot of students that that come into my class because they're sitting in a junior user experience design role or they're a digital project manager mm-hmm. or they're working in marketing and they're kind of, you know, how I describe it, peering over the fence and they're seeing how fun product can be because it's strategic, because it touches so many different things and they want to they, they want to get there. Right. And, and certainly taking a class is a great way toward that. But the other part is setting a clear intention within your organization to say, how do I get from here to there? Show me the roadmap from whatever, whether it's, you know, intern to senior product manager. And if it takes 10 years, fine. Show me the roadmap. Yeah. And, and I, I second that. And I would say uh, a great way that I've seen to do that. And I've actually hired people in this capacity is find projects that you can work on in whatever role that you're in. Certainly if you're a project manager, certainly if you're in QA or if you uh, are in marketing, find those projects where you touch product as much as possible. And not that you would be uh, you know, an owner, so to speak, but that you could liaise with them and just look for the traits, look for the the opportunities to learn from the people that are doing it well in your company so that when, and try to take responsibility in whatever way. If you have a, even a small task that, that relates to um, an initiative that is going to ship or is going to be a, a product feature or functionality, own that and treat it as if it was a pro- like as if you were a product manager, whatever that f- that concept is for you, so that when uh, the next time you're talking with someone about about being you know interested in product or about uh, something associated with that role, you can speak more authentically to it. You'll have seen it in action, and you can and say, yeah, and I had a slice of that. So if it's uh, maybe bring maybe bring some insight, you know, to a meeting that you might have that that would be with a, a product type role, whether it's a a data point or an article that's about a a similar uh, aspect in a related field. I mean, these are all things that you can do to subtly be thinking about how to become a product manager that are absolutely free, absolutely at your disposal, super easy. And the honestly, like I think from my position in, in a leadership role in product, if if people are bringing that stuff to me and to my attention in a meaningful way, 
I'm instantly going to be more interested in what they have to say and hearing about that. And again, we have hired in both of my uh, main product stops, people from the business that um, we know and are trusted and get the brand and get the culture and understand the core of what it is that we're doing and bringing them into the fold and making them product managers. And that to me is just as viable as uh, going out and trying to interview 30 people to 40, 50 people to try to find, okay, you get the sport or you get the brand Red Bull or you get this lifestyle. And I can, if I already know that you're here and I'd already know that you know that intrinsically, great. I'm going to bring you into the fold. I can teach you product and you're going to learn on the job versus let me go find somebody that knows product, but is going to have to learn a whole, indoctrinate themselves in a whole new way of thinking about product because of how important our brand or our sport or whatever it is that we're trying to get out to our audience. Again, testament to the passion piece as being part of it. And this is another another thing that I hear a lot is side projects. And I think the the variation on that theme that you're describing is, look, if where you are right now within your existing organization is leaving something to be desired, well, number one, congratulations for having enough self-awareness to, mm -hmm. to see that, right? Not point. unlike you in your sort of every two-year self-reflection moments, stopping and saying, I'm not feeling fulfilled. What would help me to feel fulfilled? That, that kind of awareness is amazing. Number two dive into something, demonstrate the, you know, the expression goes, your actions are speaking so loud. I can't hear a word you're saying. Don't tell me how much you love product. Show me exactly. whatever that looks like, whatever, whatever opportunity exists, whether it's doing side projects because you don't have a clear path to touching product within where you are, or just getting more actively involved internally, kind of as you've described, but taking action mm -hmm. is essentially the theme I'm hearing. Yeah, it's, uh, I think it's true in most facets of business. One of the things that I look for when I'm interviewing product managers to come and work for our team is the sense of ownership, a sense of responsibility, pride of, uh, of taking something on and seeing it through from start to finish. Uh, you have to have that. And I, cause I, I think there's a lot of people that might be really smart or very technical or a uh, big thinkers, but a product manager that can do and exceed at execution is going to be far more beneficial because the more repetitions that you have at that, I do believe that at some point, if I were to say, hey, stop doing, let's take a step back and let's think strategically, you're going to have, you're going to know the underpinnings, you're going to know the challenges that you need to avoid as you're taking that level up of that big picture view. You can always think Greenfield, you can always say, I want to have the biggest and best or the newest or the most successful, but you have to stay grounded. I think I've heard a ton of stories about startups and different technology companies in the world that are uh, that completely disintegrate based on the uh, the founder wanderlust of what their product actually is you know if you if you have executed and you have shipped and you know what it takes I actually think it makes you a better long-term and strategic thinker because you're still grounded as you're as you're putting that out there which I think is I think is important because you know we we can't all, be launching balloons into space to give internet to the world or, you know, building amazing electric vehicles in our garage that we're going to sell to the mass market. We can, we can change uh, the daily lives of people with simple and elegant software 
that allows them to, in, in most of my experience, watch inspirational stories or get access to information that they feel really passionate about. But it can also help you book a doctor's appointment, listen to your favorite song, you know, uh, book a reservation for you and your friends to go out to dinner. And, and those are all amazing, amazing opportunities to, to touch the lives of different people in, in small and in significant ways. Well, no, you're, you're absolutely right. Not every, not everybody's mission is a philanthropic one and that's okay. There are people who have that mission and they're going to bring great products and solutions to the world. And we're grateful for that. And then there is, there is the philanthropy of creating products that are valuable to Mm -hmm. people, whatever that is. Right. Right. And, you know, it's it's funny listening to you speak. You, you so clearly come from the world of sports because it's like all <laughs> of these concepts are rooted in tenacity. One of the things I say with my business partner all the time is, you know, starting is easy. Finishing is what's hard. Mm-hmm. And when we consult clients, especially startup clients who, are, who have an idea uh, and want to bring a first version of a product into market, inevitably what comes up well, first of all, what comes up is I always have to force them back in time to do customer development because mm-hmm. they've they've already made a bunch of assumptions that we have to go back and validate. But after we do that, you get into this place where the sales and marketing strategy is still very rooted in, well, we'll just like, we yeah, we want to sell to this company, but we would also sell to this company. And you can see that they're teeing themselves up for becoming a custom software solutions business instead of a product business. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as somebody who's run a customer software solutions business, I can say I, I don't I don't wish that on anybody mm-hmm. to go into. It's a hard business. If you're creating a product, there is a certain merit in having a vision for it, getting to that first milestone. Right. If you need to pivot because you realize that the market or the segment that you thought was the the best segment isn't fine. But finish, get there, make that discovery, then pivot, Mm -hmm. then reopen it rather than sort of never finishing anything, always being in the detail, always adding a feature, always changing your mind, being blown about by every wind. That's that founder wanderlust I think you're talking about. Yeah, if the the reward and I think for a team psyche perspective, perspective as well, you should ship. You should get something out there and, and start to collect that data, even if it's this is this is the minimalist viable product that we could have shipped. The the psychological effect of getting that out there and saying, "Team, we did it." There's there's something that's now out in the world, whether it's a new feature that is just bolted onto something that existed, or if it's never existed before. That's an accomplishment, and I think to your point, being able to have that experience of bringing it to life and then starting to collect the data and the analysis of how you can then shape what it is it should be. I mean, the, the the history books already are littered with examples of different apps and services that started out as one thing and literally became something, you know, totally different in, in a really like meaningful way, which I think is, I think is really, is really amazing. And that's true, not even just in technology, but in, in, in business for the longest periods of time. Think about all of the advances in technology and science that we have because like, well, it was going to be for the space shuttle, but it ended up being, you know, now it's in everybody's kitchen or something like that. You know, I mean, these are, uh, these are things that if you don't do, you will never know. And so taking it 80% of the way and then being like, ah, well, we don't know if it's going to work. 
that that to me that would be a stagnation point for me at a company where I would say it's time for me to start thinking about what's next for me because I would much rather spend even if it's an incrementally high amount of effort to go that last 20% than it would be to start over with brand new assumptions because we've 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 totally pivoted but I realize that what we just talked about is actually a dichotomy, right? We say, you know, do and ship and get it done versus, you know, well, sometimes you need to pivot. So maybe you're 80% done, but the data suggests that you shouldn't finish that last 20%. So these are, I think, at the crux of what is interesting and challenging and fun about product is that you have to walk that razor's edge and figure out what's best. And if you're I think the really the the most successful the best product managers find a way to to walk on that edge as long and as best they can but are okay with falling off either side. They mm-hmm. I think you have to be willing to be like, "Yeah, well, one time we're going to make the wrong decision and that's okay." It's one time. If you only do it, it once, that's yeah. That's a good track record. Uh, uh absolutely. I mean, I think it's, you know, the learning from your mistakes. I mean, that's true literally in life, but absolutely true in products. Repeatable mistakes are a death knell. That's how you're going to lose your audience. That's how you're going to lose your user base, uh, your fans, what, whatever it might be. You know, learn from your mistakes and then iterate on top of those and, and make something better. Well, I like that you also bring up the point about morale. And, you know, this is something that comes up in 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 talking about product roadmapping and best practices, which is if you've got a roadmap that's got a lot of sort of big releases and big ideas, throw in a couple small projects in there, let the team have some wins and see them, some things get stood up. And it also speaks to the merit of small batch thinking, which mm-hmm. is that if you're somewhere between getting data that at 80% that you shouldn't continue and throwing something out there, it's it's it brings back this concept of, is there a smaller, faster thing we can do, not just for shipping for morale's sake, which is important, mm-hmm. but also let's just see, right? I mean, we have a, a product we've been incubating And I said, well, let's just put up this landing page with this form. And, you know, the team is like, that's not going to be enough. No one's going to see the value in the form. We have to at least have the downloadable report. We have to at least have the video. And I'm like, I know, I know. But it's going to take six hours to write the white paper and 12 hours to do the video and another week to get back and and approve and finalize those things. And in the meantime, that's two weeks of data that we're not collecting. Let's put up the form. Well, sure enough... The market, you know, a lot of validation was, yeah, the form isn't enough. But then, boom, somebody comes along and they they, they buy in and they're going, yeah, this was useful to me. So mm-hmm. you don't even get a chance to collect those little insights if you're always in the planning, yeah. like sort of hunkered away. And it's a fear mechanism, too. Right. As long as you're in development, you're not failing. True. Theoretically, right? It's the product is just not perfect yet. Mm-hmm. When it's ready, when it's ready. Well, meanwhile, we're in beta. We're in beta. <laughs> right. yeah. exactly. uh, we we did something similar with Red Bull TV, and it dates actually back to before I started on the project here at Red Bull Media House. So, focus most of my time at this stage on Red Bull TV, which is basically bringing the world of Red Bull content to uh, inspire people again through storytelling on any different any of the different platforms so we're, we're live on um, you know upwards of 13 different code bases which is which is amazing but we didn't start that way obviously you don't necessarily start you don't just all of a sudden come popped out fully formed on all of these platforms 
So we started on a handful. You know, you obviously make a website, you make a mobile app, uh, and we experimented with Apple TV um, and with some others. And it, you start to collect the data. So you put the content out there that you think people will like, and you organize it in a way that you think makes sense. And we have teams that that analyze data and do the programming. And when I say programming, I mean actually, you know, set up what content shows up where first in what position on the page, and you and you just learn from it. That, to me, when I was coming over uh, from NFL to Red Bull and, and making this career transition, was it was amazing because I knew that we weren't starting from scratch. I knew that there was uh, there was a, a a data set that was going to be there that would help inform where we wanted to go, and so that we took and brought into our design and UX uh, investigations. Um, it helped inform our our focus groups and our user testing that we've that we did in in multiple locations around the world. Red Bull TV being a global service, we couldn't just use Southern California bias to be like, oh, this is probably what people like. We talked to people in Japan, we talked to people in Germany. We tried to we tried to gather enough data and user feedback off of based off of prototypes that we built to help inform that decision. And look, I think it's amazing that that Red Bull and and, and to some degree at NFL. We had that opportunity. I know that I would imagine for a lot of listeners, there just isn't that. There's not the funding to spend as much time, or there might not be, there might not literally be enough time or runway that they have to actually do some of those steps, you know, to get out there. And you have to make some assumptions. But if it's possible, it's incredibly valuable to help inform the inform the vision and the scope of the project. Uh, and we really put a lot of that not only content and programming learnings that we had, but usage behavior into the entirely reimagined interface that we built for the next generation of the of the platform. And for me, that was that's really that's that's really really cool because not only were we building a new front end, we also completely redid the back end of the service. And that's that you know when you start to peel away those layers, that is a massive project. And those are I think for a product manager like myself who's kind of come up in the world of uh, product inside of mass organizations is the, is the, is the sweet spot. That's the cool stuff. That's the, we're funding this big initiative. We're funding this big project. You guys got to make it work and you got to get it at scale and it has to grow and people need to come to it and they should love it. That's, that's just really fun. I mean, that, that's a, it's a ton of pressure because you have stakeholders, you have internal people that have expectations that may not align with what you know to be true about product. And that's a, a very interesting political challenge to navigate. But uh, I actually think that it comes kind of part and parcel with being with being in this role, in that seat, being able to evangelize for the product to all stakeholders in the business, to external technology partners, to, uh, you know, QA engineers and everybody in between. You have to be able to talk to all of those different communities. And I think that's really great. Wait, you're, you're speaking so compelling that I think somewhere after this interview, there's going to be a lineup outside here at Red Bull <laughs> and maybe down the street at NFL of people going, I heard Chris talking. It sounds amazing. Sign us up. And he also said we didn't need any real skills. Oh, right. <laughs> you said that earlier. I just wanted to remind you. So we really love football. We really love right. Red Bull. Um, let's talk about how you got to Red Bull. So, you know, you spent a decade was it a decade with the NFL eight and a half yeah you know you were sort of pivoting within the organization how 
how did Red Bull manage to loosen your grip on this organization and this sport that you love so much? Totally. Great question. Um, it, it was a, it was a rot decision. I mean, it really was, uh, you, if you, anybody that's worked at a place for a long time and kind of come up with the, that organization, I would think that as long as there hasn't been like a, a major facilitating moment, um, that, that soured you on the place, it's a, it's a tough decision. The, the relationships that I had, uh, that I made, uh, at NFL, I'll always treasure. And there are still some of my mentors. There's still some of my closest friends. There's still some of my most respected colleagues and who I can call to bounce ideas off about product. And of course we still play fantasy and, and rib on <laughs> each course, other all the time. Of right? course. Um, so, uh, when I was, was thinking about after I had launched uh, uh, my last project at NFL and we'd pivoted and we'd built this uh, this product and whatnot, uh, became a little nebulous as to what the future of that was. And I think um, you, you mentioned about self-awareness and I think it's a great trait to have in life, but certainly also in product. I started to say, what have I, what have, I have done everything that I, I reasonably know that I could probably do at the NFL uh, and in my current role, I've launched multiple projects. I've worked on a subscription business that brought in tens of millions of dollars in revenue. This has been just an amazing ride. What could I do to top it? And and what is my path to continued growth? And it and it and I when I looked at it and I really reflected on it, it was X number of years more before the up leveling happens and more roles and responsibilities are provided. And I said, okay. I'm not sure that I want to sign up for that, even though I know that I could do it and I know that I would really enjoy it. The other side of that is if you spend a lot of time in a big organization and you're coming up, at least for me, it's hard to shake that sense or that feeling of I'm really junior and everybody remembers me when I was less than I am now. And I know that I know more now and I know that I should have a a bigger seat or a more prominent seat at the table. But it's uh, especially when I think certain executive level types have seen you in, in your younger days or your less experienced days, it's hard to shake out of that. And uh, I recognized, all right, I don't know exactly the next thing that I wanna do or I have to invest X number more years before that happens. And I know that I, I it, it, it's probably mostly mental, I'll be honest, but it's it's you know it's something I had to listen to and be true to myself for. Uh, and I said, okay, let's um let's go see if I can be successful someplace else. Let me just see if it's repeatable. Could I do what I did at NFL at some other place? And uh, and that was going to be, I think, for me, is product right for me long term? Like, is this where I want to be? Let me go see if I can do this again. And I'm. I'm thrilled that it worked out as well as it did because after, you know, after two years at Media House, I absolutely know that this is the the path for me and the and the industry that I want to stay in with technology and with product because it can be just incredibly rewarding. It can also keep you up at night uh, and cause you to work longer than your the actual drink other. or the company. Both, I guess. <laughs> Both, I guess. Yeah. Right. But right. Right. The uh, the work the work and the and the. Uh, and the pressure that, you know, really as a product owner, that it's it's your thing that's out there in the hands of users. You want it to be as best as it possibly can. And anytime it lets someone down, 
you feel it. You feel that intensely. And you understand that if the, t- the tables were turned and it was their service letting you down, you know how that feels. And when you do that to a, a, to a user, that, you know, that inspires immediate action, certainly on behalf of a product, but certainly also because your executives probably have heard about it and they're going to let that rain fall right downhill. Uh, directly towards you. Did you seek out Red Bull Media House specifically or the opportunity presented? Like why Why did you set your sights here? Yeah, uh, opportunity presented itself uh, and was, was very eager to listen. I had been aware of uh, what what the Media House organization was doing just based on the fact that we're in Los Angeles and they were even early on a pretty well-respected media property. I know and I think it was 2012, Fast Company did a big profile on most innovative companies. And I, I remember reading that um, article and thinking like, wow, Media House, okay, they're in our backyard. I should at least like maybe keep an eye on on that. And I think that's actually important. Like wherever you live, whatever you do, you know, be aware of the people that are doing things in industry and in product that you think are interesting so that you're not, you don't wake up one morning and be like, I need to do a job search. Where do I go? What do I do? You right. have a list of maybe you just have, even if it's a mental list, you have a list of things. That you're like, well, I know that Riot Games is down the street. I love League of Legends. So maybe I'll look into that. Or, you know, Hulu's in town and Fandango's in town. What are they doing that's interesting right now? And, and do I know anyone in that network and whatnot? So it, it absolutely was opportunity presented itself. Let me jump on that. I know, I know that these guys have great content, which is absolutely true. Some of the most incredible things people can do as as a species really is documented in in our VOD archive. Just really incredible, and it, and it's not it's not all action sports. Obviously, that's a stigma that we that we fight. We broadcast uh, six music festivals last year. We have a, a, an incredibly uh, well received program right now about uh, search and rescue operations at the Matterhorn in Switzerland. Wow. It may, I mean, I'm telling you what, I've watched this uh, and the You knew work. how sensitive the brand really was. Yeah. Well, it, it's, it really does. Uh, we don't really have, a, I mean, we have obviously really strict brand definition, but uh, it, it reaches into far different many corners of, of culture and life. It's a lifestyle brand. So, you know, we have a, we have a lot that we, that we, uh, we bring to users and I'm excited to be a part of, of what that looks like. So so let's talk just for a minute because maybe there are people listening in who aren't familiar. I mean, certainly I think a lot of people are familiar with the drink. Sure. Maybe aren't as familiar with what is Red Bull Media House. So tell us, first of all, what's your role here? And then what does that actually mean as it relates to the product? Absolutely. So if you really start to uh, unpack the different things that Red Bull does, it is, it is multifaceted and very varied. But what I focus on at Rebel Media House is the creation and distribution of Red Bull TV. So again, speaking to that, that's uh, the world of Red Bull in, in moving images where it relates to adventure content, action sports content, culture and arts and lifestyle content, which is heavy presence on music. And we have a ton of live events. A lot of people know Red Bull from a number of different live events. Everybody always says, oh, is that the, that's the one where like people drive off that cliff into the water. What's that thing called? And it's, it's the Flugtag. And yes, we do still do those around the world in different locations. We have so many different things that we co-produce or produce entirely on our own. Downhill mountain biking events, a cliff diving world series. We just had a, a tremendously successful Spanish rap battle wow. in Lima, Peru. 
Uh, it was called uh, Bataya de los Gallos, and it was absolutely amazing. If you know if you know Spanish, you should definitely watch it. I know Spanish a little, but not in the speed with which they were rapping at one another. And it was it, so it. What's amazing to me about Red Bull in so many ways is there are really no limits to what we could do or what we can bring to our users. And because of that varied nature of the content, we have to build an interface for Red Bull TV that can satisfy a ton of different niche audiences, as well as uh, bring a best in class and premium experience to users. And so how that manifests itself for me is uh, I am a lead product manager completely focused on the connected device space. And that's really, at this point, everything that has a screen that we distribute on, and again, we're on a number of different code bases, uh, we bring Red Bull TV to the user. So obviously your Android and your iOS, TV, uh, Apple TV, uh, but we also do over-the-top boxes like Roku, we also do smart TVs, so like Samsung and LG smart TVs, we have our application experience on, and game consoles, so PlayStation, Xbox, and all of those different platforms have their unique oddities and eccentricities and uh, little bells and whistles that you can tune to make the experience feel authentic to an audience that has an Xbox. So voice controls with your Kinect for Xbox, those have to work. With uh, smart TV, certain smart TVs have a magic wand experience where you can literally mouse around on the TV by waving your hand in the air, which if you have one, you know what I'm talking about. If you don't, you probably like, what is he talking about? <laughs> um, but uh, so it's it's really uh, a fascinating challenge to have to bring this, this truly unique amount of content into a user interface that makes sense and stylistically uh, has a throughput to all of these different platforms and all of these different uh, user bases who are really accustomed and familiar to navigating through there, we have to be authentic to those users. So the 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 main UX and UI is as similar as possible, but we do make concessions, obviously, for the platform, and and that's a lot of what my team and my time is focused on is is building those experiences for all those different platforms. Well, it's fascinating. I mean, it's fascinating specific kind of area, and I think it. What it brings up in my mind is the ways in which, see, if, you're, if you've got a product that's starting up, then when you talk about creating value or creating a user experience, almost all of that conversation is rooted in fundamentally, is this a product worth creating? And how can we prove that and demonstrate it? But once you have a product that is in market and has you know some degree of product market fit, then the decisions of product management become less about these sort of overarching, you know, come, should we come into being or not? And it becomes, should we, should we make the experience feel more native to the operating system? Sure. How do we make sure to honor our Xbox users by uh, making sure that this product feels like a natural extension of that platform? Mm -hmm. So it's, it's way more nuanced value creation is, is what it strikes me hearing you speak about it. Yeah, and I think it helps to really influence our roadmap because now that we're out uh, with our, our new experience, and I think this is true generally like we were talking about before, once you're, once you're launched and once you've shipped, 
we have all we have a ton of different input mechanisms that can help drive what we should do next by listening to the users as they come in through our social media channels, through our customer support portals. And then of course, obviously we have executive feedback in mind because there are Damn executives. <laughs> I wouldn't say that. A lot of times they have good ideas. I'm allowed to say uh, it as, as that's the, right. I'm, I'm arm's length. That's right. <laughs> um, but it is, it's, it's important because, and a lot of times they do have a longer term or a strategic thing that we might not be thinking about on the ground uh, that we need to bring to bear as it relates to a, a bigger, uh, relates to a marketing opportunity or something down the, down the road. So a lot of times that's actually really helpful because we aren't privy necessarily to those major deal terms that are happening at the highest of levels, but we need to make sure that the product is ready to inherit that uh, functionality, that responsibility down the road. So you've got you've got your user input, you have um, your executive input, and then you also just have the, the raw data. Uh, working incredibly closely with the teams that swim in that data to help drive what we should be doing next. And along the way, yeah, you optimize, you, t you turn the knobs a little bit, you tweak a little bit for the specific platforms. And so you can build a, you know, what you hope is a fully formed, fully functioning system that allows uh, the user to really immerse themselves in this, in this video product, in, this, in the, the sounds and pictures, these moving images that is really meant to inspire you to be, uh, maybe it's just to skateboard again, maybe it's to you know, read a new book, maybe it's to discover a new musical artist um, that you hadn't had before, but those are the things that Red Bull TV tries, uh, I think, to bring to the world, and, and uh, I'm, really, I'm really proud that you know, we've tried to build an interface to reflect that. In fact, uh, this is a brief aside, but it's really hard to QA our products because you'll be you'll be like all right I got to turn this on I got to check the settings feature to make sure it, it the dialogue doesn't you know hang or freeze up <laughs> and you'll turn it on and you'll be like is he going to is he going to do that and then you just you know you're 5 minutes later and you're like I snap out of it like I got to I got <laughs> I have to I have to test this thing I love um, that and and that's and honestly like that's how you know that you're you're in it but in a good way right when you're when you can connect I think as true to self as I can feel sometimes when I watch the content, I mean, really, ultimately, that's that's kind of a dream, you know. Felt that way with football. Certainly feel that way with a lot of a lot of Red Bulls content. And it's not possible in every product job. It's not possible in every business job. You might not care about widgets that you're selling, but it helps you live the lifestyle that you want to live. But I find so much more happiness in knowing that what we're putting out into the world is is interesting, compelling, uh, crosses language barriers, and is distributed globally. I mean, this is this is stuff that can be enjoyed by you know a person in Sydney, another person in Johannesburg, uh, someone in Siberia. It doesn't matter where you live; you can enjoy and 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 experience the world of Red Bull through Red Bull TV, and that to me helps to inspire passion for what I do. Well, it's beautifully put. I think two things. Number one, forget about the long list of candidates standing outside. I might actually <laughs> hand in my resignation tomorrow. And I'm, I'm like, I'm bought in. I'm like, where yeah. do I apply? I have not given her any Red Bull. <laughs> That's I true. I, he is. Yeah, Just he water. did offer it, though. I did. Um, let's move on here to sort of what I call the lightning round. We, we talk a lot on this show about get the job, learn the job, love the job. And obviously, we spent a lot of time earlier on with some really great advice for how to get into product management or move in. Talk to us about 
the hard parts about being in the role. And these could be examples of things that you've seen maybe other junior product managers or even yourself where it's like a common pitfall mistakes that can happen. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to share a, a, an anecdote that's kind of works both ways. It was uh it was a, a pitfall and then it's actually something that's come back around to be a positive. Um, and it, and it ties back into a sense of urgency very early on in my career when I was uh, still not in product, but in production for television, I used to get, uh, there's a T there's a TV term called gripping, which just means you're like, you're white knuckled, like you're holding on to the roller coaster bar, okay. like really tight. I was really stressed about trying to get a couple of these different pieces of tape, these pieces of content edited. And I was driving my editor who I was working with. So I was producing a piece and I was driving my editor crazy. He's like, we will get these done. You have to chill. Um, <laughs> And I really, I, I will never forget that moment because he was so spot on. We were going to finish in plenty of time, but I was just really nervous about not finishing. And so I, I took my medicine that day and I took a step back and it's helped me to uh, be more of like that duck with the legs moving really fast underwater, but like very calm and composed above and really internalize a little bit more to, to keep that. Now on the flip side where I have seen, I think some product managers struggle is if we have an outage or if we have downtime or a bug that has slipped through, I don't want you to say, Hey, I saw a bug filed a ticket done. I want you to, I, I want a product manager to be like, Hey, I found this, or I saw this, or I noticed that we're in an outage. I am now online with the developers. We are troubleshooting and, and really to jump in and own it. And again, that's a, it's another one of those things where it's a fine line. It's important to have a sense of urgency, but you have to remember that there's a human element and there's a reason why things have to follow a process and you don't have to think that the sky is falling. So I think, I think that's, uh, that's one that's really interesting. And then I wish it was more interesting or sexier than this, but communication, uh, <laughs> I, you know, communication sexy. I, yeah, that's true. I, I have seen, I've seen, you know, really smart and talented people just kind of work themselves into a, into their own silo. And you kind of forget then what they're doing and how they're impacting things. And then all of a sudden they'll send an email just being like, Hey, this just launched or this just updated or what have you. And you're like, Whoa, Whoa, Whoa. That's not only either duplicative to what I was doing or counter to what we needed to do, but I also could have helped you with that in, in a way that would have made it easier for you. I was, you know, halfway down the road for that anyways, like you could have just built on what I was doing. And so product, if nothing else, I mean, it, you have to be a facilitator. You have to play the game between at a startup, basically everyone at a mid-size or big size company, you absolutely have to, you have to be able to talk to legal, to finance, to developers, to QA, to business stakeholders and everybody in between external part partners. And you have to, again, you have to be able to talk to them in a way to evangelize, but also to troubleshoot. And uh, don't forget to, to eat your hat sometimes. I mean, you when you mess up, you got to own it and you have to be able to communicate that well. That's a mistake I made early on was being too transparent or too honest to be like, this is exactly what happened. There's, there's almost always with a little bit more thought, a better way to frame things so that you're, you're, you're telling them what they need to know, but you're also doing it in a way that better represents your personal brand and the business. So don't just say, well, someone changed something on production and it, it you know, we didn't know about it. That shows that you don't have 
tight control over your organization or your team. Say that there was an unplanned, you know, there was an unplanned maintenance that, you know, that, that needed to happen. And as we were trying to optimize the platform in one area, it, it broke another. But no matter what, you got to own up to those types of things. And, and you have to know how to communicate, I think, in, in all instances. And you also, I know I was talking about sort of a negative there, but on the flip side, you need to, you need to be a communicator to evangelize for your group. If you're in a product leadership position or if you're in a uh, even in a junior position, like encourage yourself or your team to spread the word about what you guys have done. I think all too often you find yourself like, you know, hey, we just did all this stuff. Man, wouldn't it be great if more people were like excited about it? Well, who have you told? You know, have right. you have you been at the all hands talking about it? Have you been? Did you set? Are you in a newsletter? Are you? Could you communicate it in a Slack channel? I mean, there are a ton of different opportunities, I think, to get uh, the work that you've done out there. Because if the people that you're working with most closely don't know about the cool stuff that you're building, there's a far less chance that it could go and be successful outside. Because at least presumably the people that you work with should care about what you're doing. I think this conversation just became the point of departure for a spinoff series, which is like <laughs> lessons in diplomacy and stakeholder management yeah, with yeah. Chris Hall from <laughs> Red Bull Media House. Uh, okay, you've talked a lot about your passion, but specifically reproduct. What is the thing that makes you think product management is the place to be? What's that thing you love about the job? It is absolutely, it's building stuff. If you would have talked to my my grandmother while she was still around, she was always like, what do you do? And she, she would always <laughs> ask me like, when are you going to get a job with some socially redeeming significance? And I always, my counter to that was, yes, I'm not building a thing that you can go to the store and you can buy and you can hold. But when I was at the NFL, we would build products that brought that brought the game into your hands, into your living room, into your home, into your office, your car. Uh, at Red Bull, we bring the, this incredible treasure trove of, of content and stories into all of those same places. That's, that is special. Having the opportunity to have eyeballs that look at something that you've put your blood, sweat, and tears into and have them right into you, and even if it's only a handful of people or you see the app reviews or whatever else and you see that like, this was inspiring. I talked about that that search and rescue outfit out of uh, out of Switzerland. We get people from fire departments and paramedic outfits from around the world writing and saying, "This inspired me. This these are some of the best in the world doing it. I'm going to go back to school and get a, a, a and and go and and try to do something similar." I mean, that story that story wouldn't have been out there without our platform. And yeah, I didn't fly in the helicopters on these search and rescue missions, but we put together something where we could feature this and put it front and center for people to engage with it and, and have it like permeate through their soul. And that is, that is an absolutely, it's an honor to be able to, I, I also am just so passionate about just media and, and content creation and facilitation I'm a TV junkie and I love watching things. If this screen in the room was on right now, my interview would have been terrible and I would have just been looking at that. I just, I'm drawn to that. And again, it just goes back to, I know that I have to stay where I am because I get to do things that I would, I would be watching if I was on the other side of the screen. I I hope for all of the listeners that whatever it is, 
if it's a philanthropic or if you can make an app that does something inspiring for a community that you're passionate about in any way, I hope that you can find something that that uh, that truly gets you going and gets you motivated because it's it is a pretty cool thing. So on the topic of compelling content, since you are an expert, are there any shows, blogs, podcasts, books just right now that you want to contribute to our recommended resources list? Doesn't have to be PM specific, though it can be just something you think is worth checking out. Yeah, um, I, uh, you know, I am a, uh, I dearly miss my Google Reader account, um, which I had set up and dialed in and I loved it. Uh, <laughs> so I, I, I use, um, I use Feedly that just brings me all of my uh, all of my like tech news and articles. And I, I've just, you know, I usually look for things and headlines that seem to inspire me or entice me to click. And I've, I've had a really interesting finds recently from Fast Company, which I mentioned before, Harvard mm-hmm. Business Review, that are more about, I'm really fascinated on the management side of things too, because now that I've done uh, so many things in the execution side, I'm certainly growing now into even more of the leadership and, and management role which I really relish. And I want to make sure that uh, everybody on my team knows that um, I'm, gonna push, I'm gonna push hard and I want you to challenge me back. And I want us to know that we're all in this together and we're humans. And I understand if you've got a thing that you need to take care of, but the work is always gonna be there and we're always gonna do it together. And I, I'm really interested in, in different articles and different uh, blog posts about what it, what it takes to really form a culture for your team that will inspire them to do and be, be better individuals and also better employees. Well, I think you're doing an excellent job at inspiration. There's been <laughs> no shortage of inspirational moments just sitting here and chatting with you. As a parting note, is there kind of an inspirational quote or mantra that, that, that resonates for you as a way of living your own life or something that you bring to your professional approach you can share with us? Absolutely. So I had been thinking about this uh, since I knew we were going to sit down and talk, and I am 100% going to steal one of my favorite quotes, uh, something that gives me the chills every time I hear the quotation, usually set to a, a hype video, but um, <laughs> legendary Michigan football coach Bo Schembechler has a, has a speech that he did off the cuff, but uh, the the culmination is a repetition of the team, the team, the team. And I never want to be a product manager in my life on an island doing doing something by myself. It is it is one hundred percent about building relationships and learning together and pushing things forward together. And it doesn't necessarily always need to just be with product. It can be with your uh, with your legal group, with your finance group, with QA, engineers, everybody should feel like they're a part of something, that they're that they're swimming in the same direction, that we're rowing the boat together. And those are, I think in business in generally, but certainly in product, that's what I that's what I live for, that's what I strive for. Because what you can accomplish, I think, together with people that are like-minded and similarly motivated is exponential to what you can do on your own. And I am so privileged to have worked with some of the uh, the most talented people that I've met in my career. And I hope that I get the opportunity to do so. And I hope that your listeners get a chance to find exceptional organizations or start their own organizations where they can they can work with with really talented people because uh, it uh, it makes all the difference in the world. 
Chris Hall, I think your elders at the NFL would be so proud <laughs> of the product manager and man you grew up to be. Thank you so much for being on the show. Really amazing. Absolutely. No, it was, it was a true pleasure. Thank you. You're listening to 100 PM, the official podcast for 100productmanagers.com. If you haven't been to our site, please check it out. We have so many great resources for anybody looking to learn more about product management or starting a technology business. I'm your host, Susanna Bate. Join me here. We've got a new conversation every Tuesday. We'll see you next time.